I trust that you've read our passage for the day uh, from John chapter 16. We're coming to, towards the end of the upper room discourse, and now Jesus is going to say a few more things to his disciples before he turns to his heavenly Father to pray with them. So if you haven't yet read this passage, stop the video and you can read it, and then uh, we'll return and meditate on it. So back in the days when our church office staff actually met in and worked in the church office, remember those days? Um, Sue Schendler would sometimes come by, often on Thursday afternoons, and she's been going through the IPC church archives and taking things from our 60-some year history and scanning documents and all the rest. Every now and then, she comes into my office and says, Andy, would you look at this? Take a look at this document here. You'll, you'll love this. Now, one day, she showed me a letter from a church member from a long time ago, and this person was a little bit concerned about how many people in our church were really obsessed with the psychiatrist Carl Jung, who lived and died, of course, right around here. And Jung is the reason that we're all familiar with the concepts of introversion and extroversion, right? Okay, so question, congregation. Which do you think I am? Do you think I'm an introvert or an extrovert? What about Pastor Sam? Well, here's the deal. As far as I'm concerned, I was an extrovert, and then I became a pastor, <laughs> and I'm not so sure anymore. So many of you know that in South Carolina, in the US, I started a church, and I started it with another extrovert friend, Daniel. But just three years into our experience of starting this church, both of us extroverts had turned into introverts, or so we thought. See, by the time that we had hosted small groups in our homes and met people in coffee shops and went to parties and football games, uh, held morning coffee hour and then morning worship and then an evening meal and then our evening worship service, by the time we swept the room and locked everything up and went home on a Sunday night at the end of the long days and really long weeks work, we were exhausted and we were introverted. And in fact, a couple of years ago, when we were preaching through this very section of John's gospel, and we got to today's passage, uh, Daniel declared that uh, John chapter 16, verse 32, was in fact our motto as pastors. What does John 16, 32 say? We just read it. It says, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home and you will leave me finally all alone. <laughs> and we joked that at the end of a Sunday, that's exactly how we felt. The time has come for you all to go to your houses and leave us alone. Well, fast forward to today and everything has become the opposite, right? We're all scattered, each to our own home. And even I, kind of an adult onset introvert, I still feel a little bit left alone. So maybe coronavirus 2020 will be the thing that turns me into an extrovert all over again. But when Jesus says this to his disciples, of course, he's not saying, look, I'm an introvert and I need some solitude for goodness sake. And how about a sabbatical while we're at it? Of course, the Lord Jesus is the very expression of God's love. And he's about to face isolation and death. 
And then he's going to be raised from the dead and return to his heavenly father. And he's trying to tell all of this to his disciples there in the upper room. And the disciples finally now think they understand what he's saying. And they say, Jesus, we believe, we believe. And then our question of the day comes. You've noticed that all of these sermons are about a question in the upper room. John 16, 31, the question is, do you now believe? Jesus asks. You see, they believe, but they don't really believe, and they really need to believe. And isn't that exactly where we find ourselves, right? What is it that you and I believe, but we don't really believe, and we really need to believe? And Jesus says that, in fact, it's three things, three things. And these three things are that we can have victory with Jesus, that we can have the intimacy of Jesus, and that we can experience the jubilee of Jesus. The victory, the intimacy, and the jubilee of Jesus. So let's look at each of these three things, shall we? First, the victory of Jesus. Jesus says, verse 22 here, now is a time of grief, but soon you will all rejoice. So what's the struggle What's the grief that Jesus is speaking of? I think there's two aspects to it. The most obvious thing, first, he's talking about the next two or three days that the disciples will experience together. That very evening, that awful Thursday, when Jesus is betrayed by one of his friends and then arrested and taken away. And then that next day, that Friday, which we call good, but which was awful for him when he was crucified. And then that long Saturday, when he laid in the tomb. These will be, Jesus says, for the disciples, times of great grief. But he says, in so many words, Sunday he'll rise from the dead, and it will be for all the disciples a great day of victory and joy. Sorrow and then victory. But there's something else that Jesus means here when he says, I'm going away, you'll be sorry, I'll return, and you'll have great joy. And the second thing has to do with the disciples' later experience, but it also has to do with what you and I experience even today. You see, Jesus has gone away to his heavenly Father, and we don't see him. And the world that we are left with is broken, and it's full of sorrows and struggles, like the one that we're going through right now. You see, in Jesus, everything has changed, and yet so much doesn't seem to have changed at all. This is one of the great mysteries of life, period, and especially of life in Jesus Christ. We are living in what the theologians call the already not yet, the already not yet. Jesus has already risen in the same body in which he died, but we have not yet risen ourselves from the dead. Jesus has raised us up spiritually with him and seated us with him at the Father's right hand, but we have not seen this throne with our very eyes, and it's hidden from us and from the world. Jesus has overcome the world, and we ourselves are more than conquerors in him. But we still groan, don't we, with all of creation for the end of all of the futility and the decay that it experiences. We know that we'll experience exaltation and exaltation with Jesus, but for now, 
who are united with Jesus in his humiliation and in his sorrows. So everything has changed in Jesus' victory, and yet here we are, and we weep, and we long for everything to be made new, already and not yet. Friends, never forget this. These same disciples in the upper room with Jesus, they were confused even when they thought that they had finally understood everything. And these disciples were scattered that same night, just like Jesus said. But these same disciples experienced the victory of Jesus with such power and such conviction when he was raised from the dead, when he was exalted to God's right hand, that they went all over the world and they even went to their own deaths, most of them, fearlessly proclaiming this victory in Jesus. You might have heard of this famous shoe company, maybe? It's called Nike. You heard of them? Yeah, uh, this is the same Greek word that is used here in verse 33. What does it mean? What does Nike mean? It means triumph. It means overcoming. Jesus says, verse 33, take heart for I have triumphed. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. And you and I need to embrace the victory of Jesus as our own, because we need to be able to persevere no matter what sorrows and griefs might come in the strength of the conquering one, the victorious one, in whose victory you also have victory. So Jesus says, embrace my victory because it's your victory if you're in me. So then the second thing that Jesus points out, the second thing that we believe, but we kind of don't believe in that we really need to believe, is that we can have Jesus's intimacy. See, Jesus looks at his disciples who have asked him all of these questions in the upper room, who've been asking each other questions, who have asked him over the last three years or so of Jesus's ministry to do and to be so many things for them. And he says to them, I'm going. But don't think that you can't ask my help anymore. In fact, he says something really wonderful beginning in verse 26. He says to his disciples, have you noticed that I'm pretty close to God, right? Have you noticed the way I address God? I call him Father. And he says, I'm not going to the Father in order to bring him a list of your requests, your needs. But rather, I'm going to the Father, he says, so that you can speak directly to him as your Father. You know, I think one of the great problems we have is that we don't like not being able to see God. We don't even like not being able to see the Lord Jesus. And we think that invisibility means a lack of intimacy. But the problem of our intimacy with God is not the Father's invisibility, but rather the fact that we are prodigal daughters and sons. Our intimacy problem is not invisibility, but it's iniquity. But Jesus offers us intimacy with his Father, and even better, the ability in him to call the God of the universe Father. And how can Jesus do this for us? Well, it's because Jesus himself is no prodigal. He's no runaway son. Jesus is the man after his father's own heart. And the disciples, one day after he said all this, they saw the whole world, both Jew and Gentile alike, treat Jesus 
as though Jesus were the worst of prodigal sons, the biggest traitor, the furthest thing away from God. And it appeared to everybody that he was cursed. But when he rose from the dead, they knew for certain that this Jesus, whom, with whom they had been so intimate all those years, so heart to heart, especially in the upper room, that this Jesus was going back to the real upper room in heaven to live forever, to live heart to heart with his heavenly father. And now Jesus is saying that everyone who loves him can speak to his father in Jesus' name directly. Isn't this a mystery? Isn't this a marvelous mystery? J.I. Packer says that you know how much Christianity has affected someone's heart by how much they treasure the fact that they can call the God of the universe Father. We go in Jesus' name, and we can't go to God apart from Jesus. Why? Because of our sin. But as we go in Jesus' name, claiming his sinlessness and perfection, we go, Jesus says, directly to his Father. We ask the Father himself for all of our needs. Why and how can we do this? Verse 27, Jesus says it. Why? Because the Father himself loves us. You know that Jesus doesn't have to beg his Father to love us, right? This is so important to understand. Jesus didn't die for us in order to earn the Father's love for us. He died for us to express the Father's love for us. And until we get that, we won't be praying to a father, but rather to some void that we call God. But the minute that that comes home to our hearts, that Jesus died for us because of the overflow of God's love for us, then we start to pour out our hearts intimately to this God who does rule the universe, but who says, come close to me, and you can call me the same thing that my only son did, Father. And you can ask for absolutely anything that you need. So we have the victory of Jesus, and we have the intimacy of Jesus. But the last thing that we kind of believe, but kind of don't believe, and that we really need to believe, Jesus says, is that we can have not just the victory and intimacy of Jesus, but also the jubilee of Jesus. All of the joy that Jesus has can be ours. So what is the result when you experience the victory of Jesus uh, for yourself? What is the result when you begin to experience the intimacy that Jesus has with his Father as your own intimacy with God? Well, the result is that you begin to experience the jubilee of Jesus for yourself. If his victory is yours and his intimacy is yours, then no matter what happens, no matter what real sorrows that you experience, his joy, his jubilee is yours as well. Unspeakable, verse 22, untakeawayable, if you like, joy. You'll experience all of the pain, verse 21, and exhaustion of a mother that's trying to give birth, but you'll also get the jubilation of that mother when the child is finally born, and you get this in Jesus. So have you experienced defeat? when you hoped for victory? Have you experienced isolation when what you longed for was intimacy? Well, you can have Jesus's victory, his intimacy with the Father, and then his jubilee 
which nobody, nobody can take from you. And what could we need more, friends, at a time of a pandemic than the assurance that Jesus has overcome the world? What do we need more in a time of social distancing, right, than the realization that the Father himself, invisible as he is, loves us intimately? And what could help us celebrate? What could help me and my son Cliff, who both have birthdays this coming week, what could help us have joy, despite the pathetic Zoom birthday parties that we're probably going to have, if it's not the jubilee that comes from knowing that we have one in Jesus and that we are one with Jesus? So when Jesus asked his disciples, do you now believe? You know, it was kind of his nice, tender way of saying, you really have no idea what you're saying you believe. And you really have no power yet to live like you actually believe it. But let us never forget that those disciples soon did believe. Just a couple days later, it all changed for them. So what about you, though? Do you now believe? Having been defeated by your sin and disheartened by the world, have you experienced victory in Jesus Christ? Do you now believe, having been scattered and isolated, even from those that you can see? Have you experienced intimacy with your Father, whom you can't see, in Jesus Christ? Do you now believe, having been overcome with grief and still facing troubles of all kinds in this world, have you experienced the jubilee of Jesus, which no one and nothing can ever take away from you? Friends, it's all yours in Jesus Christ. It's all yours. And the only question is, do you now believe? Do you now believe? Heavenly Father, help us to embrace the sweet truth that our Lord Jesus has overcome. And give us, by the Holy Spirit's conviction, the knowledge deep down in our hearts that uh, his victory is ours, his triumph is ours, that the intimacy that he has with you is ours, and then give us an overflowing joy in the midst of any sorrows we have, and especially in this strange time of isolation and difficulty. Give us the conviction uh, that Jesus is all that he said that he was, and that that can change everything for us. We ask it in his name. Amen.